Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. Really happy you're here. It's August the 9th. Uh, we've got a few things to put together for the show, so hopefully you found our page and can uh, find what you need to accordingly. Uh, Sylvia Jones is the health minister of the province. Um, I cannot believe the tone that's getting used here, deeming it completely inappropriate to consider what we're dealing with in Ontario in hospital rooms, in emergency rooms, and discussing where we're going to go with potentially a staff shortage as a crisis. She thinks that's completely inappropriate. Uh, completely inappropriate is is not saying please and thank you when someone does something nice for you. Completely inappropriate is uh, stepping on somebody's line when they're about to make a 10-foot putt or miss a 10-foot putt in my case. It, completely inappropriate is the opposite of what it, it's completely appropriate to discuss the crisis in healthcare. And if you've got the job of Minister of Health for the province, um, you've got to do that job and you've got to listen and you've got to understand and you've got to absolutely call your own shots. It's your gig. But I couldn't believe the tone and I'm worried the tone is something that can't be corrected and it will need to be with such a sensitive subject in our province. Have a listen to my thoughts on this. Rather remarkable in terms of the understanding of what the job is for the province's health minister. And I don't think we're getting very good answers from the province. And there's sometimes two things when you don't get, when you don't hear what you want, you're like, does this person just disagree with me or do they just not get what needs to be accomplished here? And I don't know which one is worse. I'm not sure which one is worse. It, it's sort of like quality control. Right in this industry, you can imagine. I, I listen to to myself back. I hate doing it, uh, but I'm like, okay, I think this worked well. I don't think this worked well. Now you could get somebody with a totally different opinion, and that's great, right? Art gets defined not just by the artist, but the people who experience art. And for some people, they like this musician, this artist, this actor, this actress, um, and and that's great. Or this, you know, this this novelist, okay. Margaret Atwood, wonderful, amazing art, amazing author. Her books are for some people, not for others. I quite enjoy Margaret Atwood. Happy she said this renaissance with The Handmaid's Tale. When I think about government and the job of government, there's two things that have to happen here. One, politicians, politicians are going to be political. Politics going to politic, right? Like that's going to happen from time to time. And I understand usually where I spot these things. And then, so sometimes people have to be short and they have to be brief and they have to be perfunctory and they have to be very measured in their conversation. So sometimes you're looking for humanity and you don't necessarily find it. We know now one of the great examples of humanity, and I don't know how it all turns, but it does tell you how people can evolve or devolve. What was it after 9-11? Who was it? It's the mayor of New York. It was Rudolph Giuliani. We looked at him and we're like, Thank you for understanding what a crisis this was. Thank you for saying we're going to be okay. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for getting the city back on its feet. David Letterman came back. It was one of the first live shows to work and praised Rudolph Giuliani, called him a hero. And things change. They do. Here's where I'm at with Sylvia Jones. She's the Ontario health minister. She was the solicitor general. Um, I don't know if she knows that her tone stinks when it comes to talking about staff shortages, healthcare crisis, and a province in peril. I don't know if she knows her tone stinks 
or if she doesn't care that her tone stinks. And like we were talking about, I don't know which is worse. I don't know which is worse. There's an element of defensiveness. There's an element of inhumanity. There's an element of tone deafness to this. I mean, we spotted it previously in the pandemic when the stay-at-home order came in April. That's still my worst day. Pretty much what could be worse than bodies being carrying out of long-term care homes in 2020. Of course, that's true. But we were so in shock then. By spring of 21, we weren't in shock. And the Friday they said, we're going to stop you in your cars. We're gonna, we want neighbors to rat out other neighbors. I thought she came off really cold and callous then. And I think if you work in health, you'd best not. We could tell there was a person under the uh, under the um, disguise of health minister and under the portfolio and platform of health minister with Christine Elliott. I think we see it with Anita Anand. I, I, I think we saw it with her when that was her post. I think we did see it to some extent with Patty Hyde. Um, the Sylvia Jones thing's a problem. Let me play you uh, the first thing I noticed yesterday. And there's an air of defensiveness. And like, I, I cannot figure this out that this is okay. This tone is okay. And again, is it that she doesn't care that the tone isn't okay? Or she doesn't know the tone isn't okay? But here's what she said yesterday when asked if we're facing a crisis in our province. It disturbs me, as I'm sure it does many when they find that their local hospital has to close for four hours, a shift, a period of time. But to suggest that it is in crisis is completely inappropriate. That We have what we have in Ontario, what we are seeing internationally, and that is a shortage of healthcare workers. Inappropriate. Not just partially inappropriate, completely inappropriate. Do you know what Webster's defines inappropriate as? I love going to Webster's. Uh, not suitable or proper in the circumstances. Here's the sentence used. There are penalties for inappropriate behavior. I'm not worried about being appropriate or non-appropriate when we're dealing with what we're dealing with right now, when ambulances aren't available, when people fall down the stairs. I'm not worried about being appropriate or not when emergency rooms are closed. And I'm the first person to yell and scream and chide and poke and prod to point out the flaws in our healthcare system. I lived in a uh, two-tier system for a decade. I know what works and I know what doesn't. And what we got, it ain't going to work anymore. And I got more reasons why on that in a couple minutes. But you can't say that yesterday. And someone needs to either say, hey, can we sort of rewire you somehow to not sound like that? And if you can't, you pick the wrong health minister. And if you pick the wrong health minister, you gots to go get a new health minister at some point in the next six months. And my prediction, I don't like to make a lot of big political predictions, but they will. I really believe that they will. They have miscast this role. It is a role. Make no mistake about it. And whatever you got with Christine Elliott, you knew there was a person there. You knew she'd been through the trials and tribulations of the healthcare system. You knew that deep down, this was someone that wanted to do right. You're not always able to. Not everyone's always going to disagree with you. Not everyone's going to have your back. Remember, you can't go anywhere in politics and, and find 65% approval, 70% approval. Not at election time. It doesn't matter how many seats you have. The Ford government has a rollicking majority. But of course, 50% of people didn't vote for them. That'll never happen again, almost certainly, in a federal or, or, or provincial election. But you can't be that defensive, okay? 
I mean, there are nurses. Carolyn Hoy pointed this out yesterday. She's like, you keep referencing what's happening internationally. I'm somebody that doesn't care what's happening internationally. I don't care what's going on in other parts of the world. This is about Ontario. Specifically, this show is about Toronto. So I really don't care if there's a nurse shortage in Prague, in Czechia, or Sydney, Australia, or uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. I don't think there's a Wilmington, South Carolina, but just in case there was. We know there's a Springfield everywhere. This has got to stop. This toe needs to get corrected or get someone else. Great managers realize when they've made a mistake and they correct it right away. They don't just whistle past the graveyard and pretend they didn't get it wrong. But if you really did get this wrong, you better make a change and make it fast because Bill 124 needs to be taken care of. Our system needs to be discussed. We got to have mature big boy and big girl conversations about where healthcare is going to go. And this is not the person you can have at the table with that kind of tone. Catherine Hoy, uh, the Ontario nurses president, wrote this yesterday on Twitter, and she's right. She, Sylvia Jones, owes all my members and all healthcare workers an apology. And she's right. Blaming vacationing healthcare staffers for the current problems? Well, that's a problem in itself. Inappropriate to call the emergency room situation in our province a crisis? No, it isn't. Tell me you see the crisis, then I can get behind you. Tell me you understand that this is a absolute code zero, as they say when uh, when paramedics can't send an ambulance out in case you do fall down those proverbial stairs. Tell me you understand the importance. If you're just going to pretend that it's not a crisis, I got as much of a problem with that as you not recognizing that it's a crisis. I got big problems in that context. Maybe you can react to what I said. Do I have this right? Is Sylvia Jones the right person? And I don't know exactly how smart she is or how not smart she is. But I know the tone's not right. The understanding's not right. The empathy's not right. I get when you got to be a hard ass. I get when you got to be firm and you got to give as little information as possible because you got a job to do. You got no time to talk to people with microphones. Got it. I understand it. I live it. But you got to have a better tone than that when you step in front of a microphone and step in front of a camera. Or people will think you're either uncaring or you're incompetent. Is either of those a good thing for the Minister of Health, for a province as important as ours, for people who love living here, for 15 million of us? You know the answer. Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for listening. Uh, terrible, obviously, an accident in Ajax, an industrial uh, construction accident that uh, has claimed the life of two men. And we'll find out more about it, I'm sure, as the day goes on. But it was really harrowing news to wake up to this morning. And Ajax is where I live. And I'm sure you can feel it and you can just breathe the air in the community and know that something terrible has gone wrong. So here are my thoughts on that process of grieving and understanding um, that we really put people in difficult and dangerous jobs sometimes. And um, we have to understand that we need to thank them. We need to honor them. We need to talk about the danger and, and make sure things like this happen far less frequently than they actually do. Here's my thoughts. A terrible tragedy in uh, in my town of uh, Ajax last night. I should have thought more about this in the afternoon. Like, what's taking so long? I knew about this story around two o'clock and this happened around noon yesterday in Ajax. If you don't know where Ajax is, by the way, some people on the west side probably don't know. So it's kind of slotted between Pickering and Whitby. It's way before you get to Oshawa. I remember before I lived there, 
we used to drive to Oshawa for uh, junior hockey games when I was doing play-by-play in Saginaw, Michigan. And you get to Toronto and you're like, oh, okay, Oshawa must be just right around the corner. And it's not. And you forget that when, because I didn't live in Canada between 98 and 2008. Um, so it, you forget Oshawa is a bit of a push uh, out from Toronto proper. And Ajax is probably 20 minutes on the Toronto side of Oshawa. But noon, this trench collapses on two big roads. Westney goes north-south. Rossland goes uh, west-east. Uh, and two male workers were injured and two were buried. So they got the two out. And I, it should have occurred to me more um, as these two, uh, they got an orange ambulance there, got to the scene, got one person to hospital. Second person they got out. He didn't need the helicopter, uh, the orange helicopter that you sometimes see flying over your community. And the second worker broke his ankle and he was taken to a local hospital. So it's a lot of firefighters and a lot of excavating equipment. And I said it before top of hour here. I thought about driving up to that area just to get a sense. And I could have easily where I dropped my kid off for soccer practice and finish up soccer practice and whatnot. It, this is probably, you know, three traffic lights away. And I don't know how close I would have been able to get. Um, and maybe there was a, a part of me that that didn't want to know. But uh, crews kept digging. They tried to reinforce the edge of the trench and uh, the trench rather. And around two thirty. They found bodies, two bodies, two missing workers. And I don't know the details. I don't think we have them in, in our newsroom yet either. Um, and they were pulled out of the trench. And I thought about the fact that this is a really, really difficult job. And it's a dangerous job. And probably men and women go to work and do these kind of jobs. Get into a trench. Go underground. Get up on uh, roofs. Go up and uh, and mess with hydro wires so we don't have to. And the inherent danger involved, and of course there's going to be an investigation here. Maybe something went wrong. Maybe something went very wrong. Maybe something only went slightly wrong. I don't know and you don't know. All we can ask for is that experts come in and investigate what happened here. So the Ministry of Labor is going to come in and figure out what the collapse was. But I think about what we deem a tragedy and what we don't and a full life lived and sometimes a celebrity will die and Betty White dies just a couple days shy of 100 and we're like oh that's so sad this is sad it'd be great if Betty White had got to 100 it, it would have been great Paul Servino died last week okay you know good looking uh, actor Paulie from Goodfellas but he was in his mid 80s people are people are supposed to die in their mid 80s that's not supposed to shock you. But when they're not supposed to die is when they're on a construction site and they're in their early 20s because they're still living to be had. We all have that date and we, we play this game. What, what would you sign up for? How long would you want to live if you could live sort of tragedy free, meaning health wise for your own self? Because tragedy is going to happen all around you. And I don't know where I'm at, like being an early 70s birthday. I've been really lucky so far. Both my parents lost a parent pretty early in, in their life, at least in their 30s. Uh, my mom lost her dad in a car accident. My dad lost uh, his mom just after I was born. So she never got to see my two sisters and, and be a grandmother to granddaughters. Okay, that, There's going to be tragedy. But when I think about you know kids in their 20s or adults in their 30s, 
And now I'm thinking about these these two guys, and I'm thinking, I hope they don't have kids. And yet I, I would have wanted them to experience that. So you're mixed about that particular opinion. You really are. Um, and uh, it, it, I, I think we have underestimated for ages the people that go and do really, really difficult jobs. In 2019, because I think it's really tough to compare 2020 and 2021, Workplaces just weren't workplaces. Okay. Um, we had that discussion about working from home yesterday, and it always occurs to me who can and who can't. Who's got the choice and who doesn't? Who's sitting at home, putting their feet up, and who's digging a trench and who's stepping into a trench? In Canada, there were 925 workplace fatalities in Canada in 2019. 29 of those were aged 15 to 24. I was surprised it wasn't a higher number. It really was, because that's about eh, 4% or so. I thought it'd be more than that. 882 of the 925 were men. 43 were women. That's only to say that there are awfully hard jobs out there that men seem to want to keep taking over and over and over again. Driving a truck. That's, they're not exclusive. Of course they're not. And, and, and it's great that if someone chooses to go into these lines of work, and you're a woman, wonderful. Welcome them with open arms. If they can do the job, they can do the job. Like anything else. Roofers, though, um, out on a big fishing boat. That fatality rate for fishers and fishing workers, mostly men on those boats, 55 per 100,000. Logging. You, that It's double. What I just told you for fishers and fishing workers, 55 out of 100,000. Logging is almost triple that. It's the most dangerous industry in North America to be a logger, cutting down trees in the middle of the forest with a chainsaw. 132 per 100,000. Okay? Well over one of a thousand people who work in the industry a year die that year. And I think about construction. And I'm also for this big push. Go into the trades. Get in on the trades. Get up, get up on that roof. Go clean those ducks out. Go dig a trench. Go put, uh, you know, go put some HVAC into a, into a big building. And this is where most of the danger is in, in work. It's in warehouses and it's, it's, in, uh, it's on construction sites. And it's obviously out in the great outdoors. It's on fishing boats and it's in the forest. And it's on farms. It's on farms. Not just the potential for a, a, a fatality, but obviously the, the potential to, to be injured. It's farms. It's not, it's not being a financial analyst. God bless those people also. Really important stuff. But, but hey, guess what? Construction workers, when they don't get what they feel like, they, there isn't a 15-tweet thread about how exhausted they are. There isn't. I know there's real problems in, you name it, healthcare, education. I got it. Those are tough jobs too. I got it. But nonetheless, that's not what this is. Okay. You're not out on a fishing boat for a days and weeks at a time. You're not in a forest. You're not digging a trench. You're not on a work site where all of a sudden something's collapsed and you can't find your colleague. You're not. And we need to think about that sometimes. We need to check ourselves. I hope we can. Maybe today is, is the day to do that. And today's also the day to recognize that two people lost their lives. And I hope we can figure out why. But at the end of the day, no matter what we figure out, all we can do is mourn. 
all we can do is observe. And all we can do is make sure every workplace imaginable is healthy, safe, and deaths like this. Needless deaths, but understandable deaths given this is a dangerous job. It's more dangerous than anything I could potentially do and maybe anything you could potentially do. And again, these guys aren't out there writing 20 tweet threads and, and, uh, and documenting woe is me. They get up, they put the clothes on, they put the hard hat on, and they go underground. And they go dig. And they go to a work site. And they know the danger that's involved. Electrical wires, water, you know, big heavy, heavy lifting equipment, all that stuff. They know. It's a terrible, terrible morning uh, to talk about that story, but not talking about it would be worse. So Brock University in St. Catharines is planning on asking for a mask mandate. Haven't seen too many of these uh, across the country, like in your classroom, um, sitting down in a tutorial room, in a lecture hall, maybe in the hallways as well, in the bathrooms. We probably need to get some details on this as to where we're going to go with masking, especially uh, given the era we're in, given the fact Omicron has hit most of us and hit some people multiple times. And given the fact that from what I see and from my research and from the research of certainly some mask mandates aren't terribly effective. Mask usage can be as individuals, but a mandate doesn't terribly work and it can create more harm than good. We'll talk about that with a faculty member at Brock University right here. The excitement level you feel, I bet you you feel it if you're a parent of a kid going into university, especially residents, um, and it's a different feel in 22 than it was in 21 or 20. I think it is. Most people think it is. Let me read you something quick uh, from the St. Catherine Standard uh, from Dr. Mustafa Hirji. You might know him as the uh, acting medical officer of Health in Niagara Region. He wants post-secondary institutions to follow the lead of U of T. Now, U of T two weeks ago, we talked about it on the show, says, well, we need booster shots. We require it. We're not suggesting it. We need documentation of it for anyone staying in residence there. The issue there is not acknowledging somebody that may have had COVID recently. Now, I, I remember, for sports, for going to movies, for restaurants, for anything, everybody had two doses last fall. Or you couldn't go. Okay, understandable. But if you didn't update your vaccinations and you're coming off of COVID, I mean, I've got my three shots. That's great. But I'm an adult in my 40s. Um, If you're coming off of COVID, there would be an argument against that. My argument would be against the booster mandate is it's it's almost too late to lay that out for somebody who has either just gotten a second shot or has gotten hit with Omicron recently. So then you're discriminating against those people. His argument um, it's great to move their to update their vaccine policy to be three doses. Um, I think it's great. I hope other universities are going to follow the lead. So far, they haven't. Three doses of vaccine he added should be the standard that everybody has. Now, I would say that he's wrong about that because we could talk about 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14 year olds who have had COVID. And we already, you know, we know what some of those numbers are. I look, I don't envy the position of university administrators or community college administrators also to make everybody happy. I don't. Allison uh, Braley Ratai is the grievance officer for Brock University, the Badgers, Brock University Faculty Association, and she joins me right now. Thanks for making the time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. Hope your summer's going well. 
pleasure, Greg. Yes, my summer is going very well. Thank you. Good, good. Um, I'm seeing, so the Brock University Faculty Association um, is is weighing in saying it's an arbitrary decision on these third doses. I lay my case out. I guess it differs from uh, Dr. Hirji, but I'm also going by what other doctors are, are saying in that it's a little bit of a time crunch for students who don't want that shot. And it wouldn't be recommended to take that third shot if they had their second shot really recently or if they're coming off an Omicron infection. So it's it's complicated. I'm well aware of that. It's absolutely complicated. And I do just want to be clear that, uh, you know, I'm not interested in sort of getting into the weeds about what a specific uh, vaccination policy ought to look like and mm-hmm. whether or not it, you know, it ought to make exceptions for people who can demonstrate that they've recently had COVID and therefore have a, you know, a temporal immunity from that. Um, you know, we did make the uh, pronouncement that we thought it was arbitrary to, in fact, distinguish between people in residences versus the rest of the university community. Um, and, and that's where we think the arbitrariness lay. Um, in fact, it's a high risk activity at this point to be going back into the classroom being, you know, 20 to 400 students, depending on the class, um, shoulder to shoulder for two and three hours at a time, several times a week uh, with no mitigation uh, measures in place. Uh, we at Bufa are, are calling uh, upon our own administration to uh, implement um, uh, mitigation measures, uh, where we want to focus our own efforts mm. is on what I think is, you know, the biggest bang for our buck. And that is measures, uh, you know, consistent with a layered approach, but measures that have a high impact on transmissibility, rather on reducing transmissibility, uh, but which also have a low cost. Um, and I think that's mm. where we really need to be focusing on uh, what, what I'm starting to call the VFM, uh, consistent with public health expertise, uh, that we really should be looking at uh, ventilation, filtration, and masking. Uh, I, I'm certainly not, uh, you know, against uh, vaccination mandates. Uh, the arbitrariness, I think, is to not extend them further if you're going to have them. Uh, but really, the low-hanging fruit here, I, I think, is is on cleaning our air, uh, much like we you know now clean our water, uh, and on getting back to universal masking. It's a a low-cost, low-burden intervention. Mm. Uh, while we are sitting here uh, in a seventh wave with really no reason to think we aren't going to see an eighth and a ninth and a tenth. If people want to keep counting waves, you're absolutely right um, uh, about that. Um, well, you, you you say it's high risk. It can't be considered higher risk than 2021 or, or fall of 2020 when, when we didn't have vaccinations. Well, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily interested in sort of comparing per se. But if you're asking, okay. if you're making people wear masks... And you and we were doing that two years ago. I, I think people, students, and faculty would would want to make that comparison. Well, I think well, okay. If you want to make that comparison, I think when we've hit the seventh wave, although we haven't hit the absolute highest peak we've seen in the entire pandemic, uh, we've hit a much higher peak in terms of ICUs and hospitalizations than we would have been um, happy enough to accept a year and a half ago. So we've moved our bar uh, because, frankly, I think we're in the midst of pandemic fatigue, and because our government uh, is 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 moving in that direction. I mean, their messaging is that we are moving past this. The public health experts are saying, no, we're still in this. Uh, and in fact, we have a very highly mutable uh, virus. Um, and we are now 
experiencing a subvariant that is far more transmissible than any of the previous ones either. So I think if you want to compare, what I'm saying is actually we are in a high risk environment compared to 19 uh, to 2020 and 2020. We're in a higher. So we're in a higher you, transmissibility. You're absolutely, absolutely correct about that. Um, we have one fifth about that one fifth of Ontario residents in ICU that we had in April of 2021. Yeah, and we have a, a healthcare system uh, that we know is is on its last legs. We are, you know, hearing, uh, you know, news is is coming out. We have, you know, Sylvia Jones, uh, you know, is is you know is trying to do her dance around uh, what they're doing with this healthcare crisis. It's a healthcare crisis because the healthcare system itself is is failing. Why on earth? Would we not do um, this, you know, relatively easy thing, you know, this low cost measure? Uh, masking is relatively easy compared to other kinds of intervention, even compared to, let's say, vaccination, um, ventilation, filtration, the kinds of things that we we now do with our water. Why wouldn't we require? Why wouldn't the government require? Or why wouldn't at least workplaces and especially universities take it upon themselves to be leaders um, and, and to, in fact, be, be looking into you know what I'm calling sort of low-hanging fruit, and I think that does include uh, masking. And I, I don't think there are good arguments against it, given um, the transmissibility we're dealing with. Deal, uh, looking at the fact wow. that we're talking about an extremely highly uh, variable um, virus um, and a healthcare system that's on its last legs. Um, so again, if you want to compare, we can. And I think the comparison mm. moves us to the direction where we, in fact, uh, require these consistent interventions. Uh, when Dr. Herji sounded the alarm in the St. Catherine Standard the other week, uh, he was talking about it in this very context. He's talking about it today, not last year, not two years ago. Yeah, no, he's been he's been very consistent about that um, um, for our, you know, 30 months now. I think a lot of the there's been a lot of alarm sounding. There's no question about that. Um, I, I'd ask you whether we get to the point, though, where um, people trust their own judgment and trust their own vaccinations and trust their own masks. I mean, I'm a big believer in the vaccines. I've got three. I'm a big believer in masks in in those high risk settings. But I'm also a big believer in in adults being able to 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 choose their own uh, two and a half years in, especially to choose their own destiny, if you will. I mean, I trust the masks. I trust the vaccines. So I don't find mask mandates end up working to slow the spread of COVID. Um, I think you can mask if you want. And that's where we've been at the last six months. And the world didn't catch fire in, in April, May, and June. I got it with our healthcare system. You're preaching to the choir here about where we're at, what our hospital system's doing, and, and how Sylvia Jones is obfuscating. You and I are right aligned there. I just don't see research and data accumulated the last year in jurisdictions that show masks slow the spread. Well, I mean, th there actually has been, um, there have been a number of studies and some of them have come out fairly recently, but um, again, I, I mean, I'm the- What's one officer. that you like? <laughs> I don't want to get into the weeds if you- if you, it, if But you it's not the weed. If you're forcing people to do something, it's not the weeds. I'm just asking practically if there's a study that you really look at and you go, here's some wonderful data that we can utilize for our, our Institute of Higher Learning and spread and spread this far and wide and utilize a mask mandate in fall of 22. That's all I'm asking. Well, I think, I, well, and then I, and fair enough, but I think going back to the, the idea about adults being adults, I think that's really what, what we're talking about here. Uh, if it was genuinely a completely individual decision, if, if the fact of your lacking a mask did not have any impact on anyone around you, uh, then, then it might be, okay, so you get sick, you know, if you put the pressure on the healthcare system, that maybe isn't 
the university's responsibility, perhaps that is the government's responsibility. And if the government's failing, maybe we should be looking at other avenues. Sure. But I think what certainly Bufa is talking about is the requirement that we have and the requirement that our employer has to take every precaution reasonable in the circumstances to prevent transmission in the workplace. And the fact is that we know that vaccines, uh, however good they are, particularly uh, against severe illness, um, they are limited in terms of what they can do against transmissibility. And masks are similar. They're very good, um, uh, but they are not excellent in and of themselves if you don't have other measures. So I don't think it's sufficient to say that, well, you know, if you want to wear one, you can choose not to. And if you get sick, too bad, so sad. I think what we are saying is that you have the most robust protection when you have everybody, uh, you know, singing from the same hymn book and actually doing the thing. And in this case, we're talking about masking. Um, and I think that's what really matters. Um, it's not an individual decision because it does impact other people. None of these measures on their on their own are, are sufficient. And that's why you need to have the public aspect coming back in. And that means all of us doing things to help not only ourselves, but more importantly, other people. I don't want to be put at risk because someone else isn't doing what they need to and that my mask isn't alone sufficient to protect me. And then, of course, I spread it to others. That's really mm. what we're talking about here. And that's why it's so important, mm. especially when we're talking about a low cost intervention. Masking is not terribly onerous. When we had it at Brock University, I can tell you the yeah. dean told us that there was no one who was exempt from the requirement and only an extremely small number even ventured to ask about it. In other words, although it's inconvenient, I'm not going to lie, of yeah. course it's inconvenient. Getting sick or transmitting the disease to others who then get sick is mm. also inconvenient and I would suggest quite a bit mm. more inconvenient. So the real issue is yeah. if you can get high cost, like high, uh, high effectiveness for low cost, that's low hanging fruit. That's what we yeah. need to do to start breaking I, the back of the pandemic. I got to go time wise, Allison, but I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you'll come on again in late August and update us as to where, uh, where the university stands. I really appreciate the candor and the time. I very, I'm very happy to do so. Thanks very much, Greg. You got it. Allison Braley-Ratai joining us uh, on, uh, on uh, Toronto Today.